and like he used to be. This morning's message, the wicked it feel with inner turmoil. The wicked it feel with inner t- turmoil, and they have no peace. Let's listen to Deacon's testimony this morning about how he viewed life and what has kept him together and the peace and joy that God had given him. I've experienced the loss of brothers and parents, and I hadn't experienced the loss that he had of a spouse of a child. But I know that in this word that Christ says he give us his peace, his peace given unto us, and it keeps us going. Yes. It keep, peace is a lack, one of the definitions or one of the biblical looks at peace. Peace is the lack of certain things in your life and, and it's the lack of characteristics that trouble the wicked. The wicked is full of anxiety, turmoil, agitation, ingratitude, and all of those things cause their peace to be exaggerated, exacerbated. Because the peace of God that he gives, gives us quietness, gives us stillness. It gives us rest. And that's why he says, come unto me, all you heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And that rest that he give unto you, he says, my peace I give unto you, not as the world give it, give I unto you, but the peace that he give unto us, it's a peace that comes from being a child of God. From the moment sin entered into the world, mankind had forever lost perfect peace and harmony with God. We are all sinners and we've chose, and if only if we choose his salvation, may we escape that ultimate internal conflict of conscience. And I've de- given definitions of conscience and certain things, and the conscience is the God-given moral consciousness within each of us. And if God gives us a consciousness, it's a certain awareness of being made in his image and his, in his likeness. But that was corrupted. Uh, that was, how can I say it? That was distanced from us through the fall the knowledge of good and evil because of the conflict of the things that are going on in us that make us wicked, that make us children of the devil. Let me give you a couple of definitions of the word conscience. It says the sense of con- us, the sense of consciousness of a moral goodness, a blameworthiness of one's own conduct, intentions, or character, together with a feeling of obligations to do good or to be right or the lack thereof. Because some people have no conscience of right and wrong or what they should be doing. That, that's what forms their character, their sense, and it, it either convicts or not convicts. Now, now, now that comes into a, a spiritual definition of the word conscience because if you're not a spiritual person, there's no conviction of conscience and that's a sign of God turning a, 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 a 
follower of him, a professor of him, over to a reprobate bond. The reason I say a follower, a professor of him, because there'll be a many a people in the church that are under a false flag. They profess Christianity. They profess God, but they're not of God. We have to substantiate or, or make that difference clear. Just like one thing that I liked it about at the funeral the other day, the distinguishing words that the priest said about communion when he was giving out communion, say those that are not of the Catholic faith that he would wish that you abstain from the table because you're not invited to their table of communion because you don't follow their doctrines and their teachings. I think a lot of us, we we need to be a little bit more distinguished with what we do at the table and who we invite to the table because if you eat of that bread and drink of that body, it's a certain body of doctrines you saying that you embody uh, that is characteristic of you. And, and if you're not, if you're not aware of the doctrines and the body of, uh, that you take partaking of, you may take a partake of Christ and be a professor into where your conscience is never convicted. The preaching and teaching doesn't convict you of the word. You can sit there and, and scheme and devise. And right now, it, it, you know, it's a lot of people on Saturdays and Sundays or this weekend. If you're in church, is your mind on the ball game? What the playoffs are like? What you going to eat after you leave out of here? Other things? Or is your mind meditating and focused up on Christ? That's what got you focused, Deacon. That's what keeps you with the peace of coming to the house of God because that's where your joy is. Yes. That's where your peace really is. The peace is in Christ. Yes. Uh, another definition uh, having a gu- guilty conscience is someone conscience convicted. That's have to be, a, like I say, that's in a spiritual sense because it's got people couldn't do things and they don't fall under conviction. That's the wicked. That's why it's no peace to them. That's why they keep doing the things that they do because there's no conviction of conscience. God hasn't awakened them up. He hadn't quickened them or made them alive. Their conscience as if, let me say, under that first point of conscience, their conscience has been seared as with a hot iron. They bring all of the turmoil out of the world into the church. The church, that's why you have to have uh, certain things in the church because before you know it, if you're not preaching sound doctrine, the church will become divided and you won't even have peace in church. You'll be afraid to speak or testify or pray or do things because of somebody being critical of you or waiting out to launch at you with the worldly characteristics. That's when the lion, the lamb can't lay down with the lion because the lion is seek to devour the lamb. See, God's peace upon the world and God's peace in the world is where the lion and lamb lay down together. See, but a lot of us don't want to go home. Because our wife is a brawler, our husband is a brawler, our brothers and sisters are brawlers, are competitive. You ever been somewhere and you have to be on guard every minute of what you say or do and someone's always critical uh, after you for every little thing you say? 
That's a sign of God. Uh, Jesus has come in and taken that peace away from you, and that person never falls under conviction. That's why he says that our reading scripture came from the 48th, very 22nd verse of that 48th chapter. There's no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked, because that's their character, that's their nature. And what a man soweth, he shall reap. So it's no end to that. It, that's why Solomon says it's more, it's more better to lie a sit in a corner or dwell in a corner on the rooftop than a house in a house with a broiling woman. Uh, 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 and, and let me say man also. With a spouse because men are more petty nowadays than women are. They have more feminine characteristics. You know, you can't say a word without people jumping down your throat or being critical or trying to denounce you or trying to find something in what you said or pick a hole in it. Timothy, First Timothy told us that there was going to be this way in the latter days, in the latter time. First Timothy, the fourth chapter, first through the fifth verse says, Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God had created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. So here we have that doctrine of eating things offered to idols in certain teachings within the church. You know, the Catholic Church has a lot of things about marriage and the priest abstaining from marriage. You know what I mean? The priest, their priests are not married, but that presents a conflict. It's been pre- presenting conflicts for years. It says in hypocrisy, you know what a hypocrite is? One that say one thing and do another. And that's why I say that's where the church is full of hypocrites. God called his people in, thy, in Isaiah the 10th chapter in the 6th verse. He called his people and said, I will send the Assyrians, I will send them against a hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath will I give him charge to take the spoil, to take the prey, and to thread them down like mire in the street. Like mud, like excrement, like the ashes. You'll walk on the ashes because you learn to let the Lord do your battle, the Lord do your fighting. That's how you get peace in the home. You know, people always popping off and always got something to say. Do you learn not to say something back to them all the time? Just let them go with that. You be evasive of them. You don't argue with them. You don't try to one-up them or whatever. You get back and let them do all that. Get away from random. They'll soon implode. You read a scripture there of someone imploding when you read 1 Samuel. That was the death of Saul. The Amalekite had came upon him. Saul was trying to commit suicide out there. We don't know if Saul committed suicide. The, the Bible tells us he fell upon his sword. But when that Amalekite came upon him, he wasn't all the way dead. The Amalekite said his side of the story. That's why when David killed the Amalekite for killing Saul, he says, the Lord says, touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. Because all of that time, Saul had been trying to kill David. David couldn't have any peace because Saul was constantly pursuing David. David had to leave and go live in the land of the Philistines. Watch unbelievers. Watch those that are wicked. They'll fool around here and have you working against God. 
David went to live in the Philistines. He had created doubt in his mind. He said, you know, one of these days, Saul's going to kill me. I'm going to die behind the hand of Saul. Well, that wasn't going to be possible because God had gave David certain promises that should have gave David a peace and not to go dwell in the land of the Philistines. We have to look at these old things and see what happened. He caused his own death. The Amalekite was wicked because of the lie. And that's why when David killed him, he says, because of what you said out of your own mouth. Remember, your own words is going to convict you. Your own words convicted him. It says, but the Holy Spirit explicitly and unmistakably declares that in latter times, Sodom will turn away from the faith. That is, as Demas did. Turn away from the faith in God, paying us in attention instead to deceitful and seductive spirits and doctrines of demons. In other words, instructions of demons. That's why in the book of Revelations we hear the doctrine of Balaam and about Jezebel with seducing doctrines. We hear these things because... They're alive and they've always been in the world because the wicked is all the way back to Cain whose father is the devil. He was Satan, he says, you were alive from the beginning. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he told the people of his day, the ones that com- confronted Jesus, he so told the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. A person with no peace won't ha- let you have no peace. They kind of changed that saying and it came into over to the secular side. They start saying no rest for the weary. We see biblically it says peace because peace is included much more than just rest. That rest is a type of the Sabbath to enter into God's rest. We rest in Christ. That's why I say he that is heavy laden, let him come unto me and I'll give him rest. Yes. He said, because I'm going to give you my peace. That peace that I give you. The world can't take it away. See, but that's what happens in the church. We get infusions of false doctrines and teaching because of popularity in unconverted people, people that hadn't died. It says they're being misled by the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared as with a branding iron. That is, leaving them incapable of ethical functioning who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from certain foods which God had created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and have a clear knowledge of the truth. You see, because the Old Testament laws of the clean and unclean food was an object lesson for us, we know that food doesn't commend you to God. What goes into the belly doesn't defile a man. Mm -hmm. Now, see, we're looking at this. That's from studying God's word. I'm not going to go way off on that rapture. For everything God has created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. I want to land on that word gratitude because there's what is sanctified, that is set apart, dedicated to God by the means of the word of God and prayer. It is significant that we would pray and supplication present our request unto God. That we look at everything coming in our lives as given by God through prayer and sanctification and to be grateful. That means we're grateful with, like, like you said, 
you suffer loss, you see people come and go, and God brings a lot of conflict into our lives. But that conflict is the furnace of affliction to test you, to mold you and shape you and keep you focused on Him. Keep you focused on the prize. He's the prize. The high calling of God in Christ Jesus, He's the object of our faith. We keep looking at Him. But we're talking about an ungrateful people. The wicked, it wicked, it has that characteristic. That's p- part of Romans, some of the characteristics of the wicked. It, they're ungrateful or unthankful, no matter what you do. And do you try to help people or do things for people, but yet they're kicking you and criticizing you and knocking you and always trying to find a hole in something you're doing? That's their internal conflict. They're not at rest with themselves. They're not at peace. You know, sometimes they, they set a room just to launch out. They like that, that viper. You know, a, a snake will sit in a bush. A, a snake will hide in laws. You remember he was hiding in the wood and he launched out at Paul. Yeah. They'll sit quietly and they'll snake attack. That's part of their nature. Now, God told us to be wise as serpents, but as harmless. In other words, we're watching everything, but we don't march out and try to hurt. We, we try not to speak critical words that abuse and damage and hurt others. Yes. God called his people, and that's what he's doing. But the conscience, he's turned their conscience over it's like a waving or an ocean or something. We have to depend on God's wisdom to keep us away from the wicked people. Proverbs 1 through 2, Proverbs 24, 1 through 2 says, Do not be envious or evil of wicked men, nor desire to be with them, for their minds plot evil, and their lips talk of trouble against the innocent. Don't envy those people, for they shall soon be cut off. Yes. They get with others and criticize and talk about the other person. You, you ever been around people and gossipers or tail-bearing and always trying to bring themselves up by bringing somebody else down? Those kind of people, you try to always take the side, play the debt. We, you didn't heard in our, our terminology, our speaking, our language, where people say, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. In other words, I'm going to take the side of this other person that you're criticizing and talking about. So when that person comes to you, sometimes you may have to play the devil's advocate because Proverbs says, answer a fool according to his father. See, we have to understand scriptures and what scriptures to use when, but only the wisdom of God gives us that to use. Because you could be wise as the wise natural man who we talking from, who we talking about here now, and lose or get your eye off of the ball. That's why, and what we're talking about here in Isaiah, the 48th chapter, and with that reading verse, there's no rest, there's no peace, saith the Lord unto the wicked, it is a result of God's people not being converted as a result of idolatry, of God giving them everything. And and that's typical of this nation here. That's 
of like this nation here. God has blessed this nation and blessed the people of this nation with a government and with people and with the word of God and things. And they're unthankful and ungrateful. And they showed by their lack of obedience. And this Solomon, he was the wisest natural man that ever lived. But he was spiritually maybe dull. He didn't understand God. He was given to vanity and vexation of spirit. While talking about consciousness, let's look at another point why the weary of the wicked has no rest, and it's because of covetousness. And that's going against one of God's Ten Commandments. He says, do not covet. We want more. Covetousness, covetousness is the idea of wanting more or getting more. Solomon was one that asked for wisdom from God to lead his people, to show him how to come in and go on. But along with that, God gave him wealth and riches, and God, Solomon ended up turning his back on God. God warned him in a dream two different occasions that these women are going to turn your back on me. As you get older, they're going to turn you away from me. You see, Solomon wasn't a converted man at certain stages, although he knew of God in the temple of God. And David, his father, was a worshiper of God. Solomon seemed much different with all the wisdom he had. He came to the point in Ecclesiastes where he said, all this vanity and vexation of spirit, because he was living life under the sun, unconverted. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes, the 5th chapter, 10th through the 11th verse. Now, to put it in proper perspective, some of this has to be read, the whole chapter in context, and taught upon in different bites. That's why I say it's impossible for a preacher to preach to you and give you the understanding of the Bible in one hour. That's why I say those who seek the Lord, you have to go away as a good Berean and pray and meditate on God's word and seek him all of the time. He must increase and you must decrease. Ecclesiastes, the fifth chapter, 10th, the 11th verse says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless, meaninglessness. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes upon them? That's what it was, Rockefeller. They say, how much is enough? Yeah. He just says, just to get another dollar. Mm-hmm. How many people are driven by the lottery? The larger you get, the more people. I see you lighten up that, Deacon. You, you, you know about that. Yeah. Because it's greed. It's playing to inner part of them that Satan has them bound in. They can't get enough money, you know. And like I said, I've watched on 60 Minutes of different programs. I think Dr. Phil was focusing on lottery winners and everything. And to watch those people about heist and tore their lives apart because if you have money, you have to be able to manage. Oh, money causes you to work. You have to be able to invest that money. You have to be able to know that you will have relatives and people coming out of the cracks. But it's never enough. 
It's driven you. That's why each day you hear about the stock market and people lose money in investments and in the stock market and each company is requiring that they make more and more. They set goals and goals, but they never have enough. That's covetousness. Always desiring more. That was Solomon. He, when he read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and some of the books where Solomon had written words in them, you see that this man has more than any king before or after him. But it didn't satisfy him. He could have, if he would have lived in our day to hear the Beatles when the Beatles sung the song, Money Can't Buy You Love. He wouldn't have had to have 700 wives and 300 concubines and say he hadn't found a good woman in a thousand. The problem was Solomon. It wasn't the women. Solomon didn't have peace with God. And he came in supposedly as a king of peace. And he caused a division. He caused turmoil. He caused God to start rising up enemies in his life to divide and take away from what he had. That's what happens in our life. God sends enemies. He sends devourers in. He says that he was going to send them in to take the spoil because you're a hypocritical nation. Here's another 10th chapter of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, where Solomon wrote. You know, as before, you have to read those previous verses to get the full context of this. It says, the officials make a feast for enjoyment. Instead of repairing what is broken and serve wine to make merry, and money is the answer to everything. Money answered everything. That's to a man that's under the sun. In other words, that that's why the deficit is what it is. And the Janet Yellen was heading in the news the other day that she had to find out ways to creative spending and what we could cut and not pay or whatever because. The debt ceiling is going to be rich on the 19th where the government shouldn't spend any more money. They have to make cuts because they won't have money to balance the books. Mm. You know, no matter how, many, how much money you get, it's never enough. You always need another raise. You need more money. You need more money. Five years ago, you were in pretty good shape. You can make it, but you say, only if I had enough. But over that five-year period, you probably didn't had raises and money added to you to where you're making much more than you was then. But it's the management. It's not how much you make. It's how you manage it. Yeah. That's what Christ gives you, ways of managing. Isaiah, the 57th chapter, the 22nd verse, you need to read that whole chapter because he's talking about his people. And he says, but the wicked are like the toss and sea. For it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and muck. There is no peace, says my God, to the wicked. You always got to find a way to get more money. You're gambling online. They got it to where you could gamble on your phone. and You can do all kinds of things because you're driven by the pursuit of money. There's no peace there. It's always the covetousness more, more. I got to have. You can't have peace that way because there's not an inner quietness, an inner calm, an inner rest. You hadn't learned to be content with such that you have. You're not focused upon God. The world keeps that peace away from it. It keeps it away. It's it's fleeting, a fleeting away. 
I remember Jez, Jehoram. He was one of the kings, and we read about him in the book of Second Kings, ninth chapter, in the second verse. It says, But come here, uh, you sons of sorcerers, race and superstition and deception, the offsprings of adulterers and a prostitute. Of whom do you make fun? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of rebellion, a sinful and deceitful offspring? These are the wicked God's people that he's talking to. That whisper against one another, brother against brother, sister against sister. The division is that the God's people are divided. The government is corrupt. The religion is corrupt. And he calls them children of adulterers. In other words, he's talking about physical and spiritual adultery. Your mother's a prostitute, a harlot. You remember the whore, the harlot in Babylon that he says, come away from it. Babylon is the world. You have to come out of the world to to receive or have this peace. You can't be pursuing the world and the things of the world and get this peace from God. The world doesn't allow it. It won't allow you to do it. You can't sit. You can't sit still. You have to press forward. And that's why I say it's always from one team to another. Who will pay me the most money? It's money. You're working for money. You're not working because God had called you to labor to help others to do for others. It's self. It's me, me, me. It's no peace to the wicked. You start when you start seeing and analyzing this and ask God to bring it home to you, you see what the sea it says tossed up, the sea tossed up muck and mire. You know, they say how many thousands of pounds of plastic waste and bottles and things that the oceans that comes up on the seas of the ocean, up on the be- up on the beaches that washes up. That has to go somewhere, that muck and mire, it tosses up the dirt in the field. Yeah, if you ever been to Pensacola or Desta or any of those beaches or been to the Gulf or something, you see that the ocean washes that away. It washes it up to shore. That's how the, the wicked is. That which is in them, it keep boiling and stirring out and coming out in vitriol and in bitterness and in different characteristics that are the works of the flesh. But in those that are from Christ, those that he give peace, they're burning. The, the It's burning those things away. It's burning away hatred and vice. You're at rest. Those that wait upon the Lord, those that are looking on the Lord, he gives you that inner peace. You're not being agitated. Those people are full of anxieties, sorrows, and worry, and depression. That's because they have no peace. What a man soweth, he shall reap. It's impossible for them to have peace because we have to get peace from the Prince of Peace. And Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He give it a peace that the world know nothing about. In the book of 2 Kings, the ninth chapter and the 22nd verse, it tells you about this Joe Ram when he came to power and about his mother Jezebel, which is a type of the judgment of God coming upon the church. And I'm not saying that the Catholic church is this 
Babylonian whore, the great harlot in the Protestant churches or the daughters or whatever, as a lot of preachers and teachers and commentators have or whatever. But this is a religious aspect. The, 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 the doctrines of devils, the seducing spirits, we see back in the book of Revelations where it says that the church at Thyatira, where Jezebel, that prophetess is, that she's teaching and seducing his children and teaching them to commit whoredoms and fornication, and he's going to toss, he's going to kill her and her children, going to toss them in the bed of death. This is what Jehu, Jehu was raised up by God to destroy the woman, to destroy Jezebel, to destroy Ahab. Now, Jehu wasn't, he acted religion, religious, and he followed God for a while, but God had to slay Jehu and his whole family because he went away from God. He was one of those vindictive evil. He was trying to be a goel, but he wasn't fully converted, and Jehu went over uh, more zealous than what God had called him to be. And that's what we have that's what we have in government. That's what we have in religion. Not those religious zealots that has hatred and, and variance and, and bitterness, but they are in religion. They cover it with God's name. That that's what we go start studying next week in this chapter here. It's those that are in my name that call upon the name of God but hadn't departed from iniquity. So they take their wickedness and evilness out on God's children, those within the church, yes. on God's people. And God sent Jehu to destroy Jezebel and Ahab and all of what's, what pertains to them. And it says, well, no, not Ahab. I mean, Jezebel. I'm sorry about that. But it was Ahab. I mean, Ahab died in battle fighting. But this is against, this is with Jehu. And it says, the second chapter, Kings 9 through the 22nd verse says, And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu, that he said, Is it peace? Jehu, he answered, What peace? Can what peace, what peace can exist so long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many? In other words, as long as your mama whispering in your ear, as long as she leading and guiding you, can't be no peace in the family. Can't be no peace in the nation. Because you're being led about by this horse woman. By this great harlot. By this religious. It is it will come a day when God judged the world just as he judged Jehu, ju- judged Jezebel and the people during that time. It'll be a day that God judges the world. Yes. The book of Romans, the second chapter and the 12th verse says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without regard to the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged and condemned by the law. So those within the church and without the church, they go face judgment. They go face the judgment of God because their conscience hadn't convicted them to depart from this world to repent and turn to God. They had no peace and they were suing for peace, but they couldn't receive it because they sought it apart from God. That sorted, some sorted outside the church, some sorted inside the church without submission to God. 
And that's what God's talking to in this 48th chapter. A rebellious and idolatrous people that are saying and doing things in His name, they're hypocritical. They're hypocrites. Now, he didn't come to bring peace to the wicked. When he says he's come to bring peace, it was to his people. The book of Matthew tells us that. The book of Matthew, the 34th chapter through the 36th verse, and the book of Luke, the 12th chapter and the 51st verse, listen at what the people heard from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ about this peace. He says, do not think that have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. That is, that's division between belief and unbelief. Yes. Because we've married a line. We have people in the Catholic of the church that's marrying truth to a line. Into, into other words, well, homosexual, same-sex marriage, adulterous, abortionist, fornicators, Liars, extortioners, rebel, all of those with the works of the flesh are in the church. It says, every unclean and hateful bird has come to abide in the shade in the branches of this tree. It is the leaven that leavens the whole lump. They've allowed this into the church. He says, For I have not, for I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household when one believes and one does not believe. Because the belief systems, even if they're in their religious, they're in different belief systems, different doctrinal teachings. That's where it's enemies within your own home. It's no peace. Because the wicked that lie there, but we'll be like Daniel in the midst of that storm, in the midst of that. You hear I say the words from the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, when it says, the God of all comfort, the God of comfort who teaches us to comfort one another, to, for to have comfort right in the midst of all of these things. I was talking the other day about Job's, the children at the funeral, and about Job's friends that became his adversary and took away Job's peace, tried to take away Job's peace during a time that should have been a solemn occasion, they came and spoke against Job's children. They spoke against Job. There's a time and a place for all things. Now God gave Job more children, but his friends became his adversaries. By the words that they saw. In, in other words, it was shown what was in their hearts, their atten- intentions and the things that lies within the heart. What's in a man shall come out of a man. That's what defiles the man. Yes. See, when you squeeze, when circumstances, when time squeeze you hard enough, you'll say, or we can see the intents. Every knee shall bow. God's going to make manifest that which is in your heart. That what, have you been converted or not? What's in a man's gonna come out. What's done in the dark's gonna come in the light. You can't hide it, and that's why the characteristics of peace and that consciousness of peace to God's people is comfort. It's being able to go into the lines then, and to, and to do as Daniel did to have rest and peace in the lines then. 
Now that chapter, I'm telling you, tell you about the 57th chapter where they duplicate this 22nd verse of Isaiah, the, 50, the 48th chapter, in the 22nd verse is duplicated in Isaiah, the 57th chapter, in the 21st through the 22nd verse about the wicked is tossed about and has no rest. It has no peace. Well, in the beginning of that 57th chapter, God's talking about the comfort of those, that remnant, that part of God's people that he says, the righteous man perisheth at the hand of the evil, and no one takes it to heart. Faithful and devout men are taken away while no one understands that the righteous person is taken away to spare him from disaster and evil. He enters into peace through death. They rest in their beds, that is, their graves. Each one who walked uprightly, following God's will, living with integrity. I kind of home in on that at Sister Harris' funeral. And you can go back and listen at the eulogy of Sister Harris online to get where I home in on that because there's a lot of righteous people that are going to die. There, as people die each day, so hap- it happens to the wicked, it, it also happens to the just. The righteous are being taken away to give peace. Sometimes God takes your son, your daughter, your wife, takes something out of your family because they're taking away your peace, but to keep them from being corrupted and to give you peace, the separation is through death. You know, sometimes instead of, he says, I'll cause you the father to be against the son and the mother-in-law against the father. Maybe if he just moved them out of the way. Sometimes God takes people out of this life and he gives the other one peace and the other one's at peace because they were at variance one another. Not that they were desperately wicked, but the righteous also goes to his grave. Because he wasn't a... Let me not go down that road but there's a reason he takes a lot of the righteous out. Just like when it says he translated Enoch. And a lot of people says about the rapture and he took him to heaven. Well, I don't know too much about that one and about Elijah because the different doctrines and teachings has us looking. But I know one thing God's word says, no man has ascended up but he that ascended down and the only one that ascended down and ascended up was Jesus Christ. The son was given. He was always here. He came down to this earth to work and make peace and he went back up. They say that same Jesus that goeth away, he shall come again. So when it says Enoch was translated, Enoch was taken away because he lived during a wicked time. God takes a lot of us out of this life because of the corruptions and the wickedness and evil to come that we would rest and be at peace. He has somebody else fighting the battle. You've run your race. You've done your best. You fought a good fight, but now let me lay you to rest and you'll wake up one day to be with the Lord. So let me work somewhere else here. See, because... That, that you know, if you always at variance and people are and you love and you're trying to be it, but sometimes let me that God kills that person, uh, takes that person out of your way because he's vexing you, he's causing you before you do something. You know, 
I hate to see where it come to where one spouse kills another spouse, a, a child kills another child, a child that kill one another. Why don't you let someone else, let the wicked man kill him. Let disease or something kill him to separate him. Since they can't live together at peace, let them die in peace. They'll be united in the next life. But this other one has something to do in life. You have to stay away from around people that causes you to be vexed. That's what happened to Moses. That's why he couldn't go into the promised land. He allowed the people to vex him to where he smote the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Moses spoke, smoked the rock instead of speaking to... Don't let people get on your nerve and take your peace away to where you violate a principle of God to you violate a principle of God. You get away from around them. You know, sometimes... The, the best way to stay friends is to stay away from around your friends sometimes. Yes, yes, yes. The best way to keep peace is to stay away because when you're around one another, you're always fussing and arguing. You're always cutting one another down and saying this or saying that. You go your way and I go your way. We be friends. We'll depart in peace. We'll stay as friends. If we can keep our distance, we'll be friends. He says, the rest will be to those who turn and come out of Babylon. And that, that's where I want to kind of nest this and end this at those coming out of Babylon in the last 10 or 15 minutes I have. I got a long ways to go. I'm not even halfway my lesser notes. I dwelt in some places longer than I should have. It says, I as I create praise of the, his lips, peace, peace to him who is far away both Jew and Gentile, and to him who is near, says the Lord, I will heal him, making his lips blossom anew with thankfulness and praise. In other words, to Jew and Gentile, he's that light. He was giving a light to the Jew and the Gentiles. This is the ones that I'm going to comfort and I'm going to give peace. The ones that sit in darkness, the ones that are in the world, and the world who can submit themselves and turn from their wicked and evil ways, and be obedient, and, and listen to instruction. He says, Luke one seventy nine, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in a straight path into the way of peace and serenity. You have to be able to be led by the word of God, by God's preachers and teachers, because that's what they were given for, for the perfecting of the saints to show them the way to peace because when he give you his peace he giving you of his spirit Luke 19 41 and 42 says as he approached Jerusalem he saw the city and wept over it that they were spiritually ignorant that was his people and we look at a church we're looking at the people in the world that are spiritual ignorant and what he said is if only you had known on this day this day of your salvation, even you, the things which make for peace, on which peace depends. In other words, if you knew the Word of God, if you knew a can take instructions, but now it's hidden from you because you're not teachable. And that's why I say some he has to take out because they're not teachable. They're, they're always going to be at at enmity, not let's not say. In other words, wicked. It. Mm. Mm. God has to purge that out of them, 
And I don't want to go into Catholicism or whatever, but they have to be laid aside because you didn't know of your peace that you have to follow these things. Remember, he destroyed Jerusalem. Not a stone was left up on a stone because they didn't know about salvation. They had the Lord of glory walking with them, and they wasn't awoke to that because when his word, when he gives us his spirit, it's the removal of guilt. And I told you, a guilty conscience, if you have guilt and you're guilt-ridden and God's word doesn't alleviate that, you hadn't been converted. You hadn't received of the spirit. That's because God's word changes your intentions and your motivations. You're motivated by the spirit of God to please God and to live at peace and harmony and to bring the whole creation into harmony. So in Romans, the second chapter, the 12 through the 15 verses says, For it is not those who merely hear the law, in other words, who are just or righteous before God, but it's those who actually obey the law who will be justified. That is, they will be pronounced free of guilt of sin and declared acceptable to God. Those that are obedient to the word of God. All of them who hear don't obey. You have to be obedient, and that's why I say disobedience takes away the peace of God. You can't receive the the, the grace of and peace of God in disobedience, and that's what happened to the human race. They was disobedient. They was away from God, and it took away their peace and harmony with creation. That's what all the creation is waiting for, the manifestations of the sons of God, and the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, the characteristics of God. Those are the ones that receive of his peace. He says, when Gentiles who do not have the law, since the law was only given to Gentiles, the Gentiles had greater faith because God had given them a conscience to believe. That's why he was saying no greater, greater faith I hadn't seen in all of Israel. It says, when the Gentiles do instinctively the things that the law requires, that is guided only by their conscience, they are law to themselves, though they do not have the law. There are people that live morally, in other words, that do good, that don't oppress the poor, that are not covetous, that are not self-centered. These things that God had given unto the Gentiles through conscience, their faith justifying those things. Yes. And that's why we worry about, is the word preached here, the word? No, God's taking care of that. And I see these things in a lot of Catholic people. That, that's what I'm saying. Within those people, it is God choosing his people and coming back to bringing his people back to him. Jew and Gentile, they show that the essential requirements of the law are being written, or that they are written on their hearts and their conscience, that is, their sense of righting wrong, right and wrong of the moral choices bearing witness to this, that that's what they actually living and do. Are you an actual living witness? Do your life testifies to you? I'm thinking that I see that I I see you have wretch, and the word is world is trying to reach nirvana. In other words, peace, and they can't get it. And and I pray and I thank God for you that you always there and be there. He gives you nirvana. That's the peace that no man can. You know, and you you, you take this dumb blonde that they always have at the 
Well, it's picture. It's metaphorical. During the uh, Miss World, or Universe, America pageants, and all these things, where somebody say, "Well, what do you wish for world?" He say, "Well, world peace." You know, people talk about world. You have to work for peace. Yes. You have to pursue peace. Yes. World peace is not as easy as talking about. Peace and goodwill toward man. is That's one of the texts they use at Christmas time. And that's the most covetous time of the year. People hadn't recuperated from Christmas yet. That's why it says God bearing them witness and their thoughts alternatively accusing or perhaps defending them on that day. Are you going to be accused or defended on that day of God's witness before you? On his day of judgment? It says, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. All of the hidden thoughts, why you did this, what was motivating you, that's God judging that. That's why you didn't have no peace. There's no peace, no rest for the wicked because you know judgment is coming to deal with you. All knees shall bow to Jesus Christ. That's why they are convicted. But those of us that are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. They can walk and bleed and know who Christ is. They don't have to go around trying to take somebody else's peace. They come and try to give peace to a situation. They try to steal a situation. You know where the world gets perplexed on on this and turned around? They don't know that sometimes... To bring peace, you have to carry a pretty big stick. <laughs> you know, sometimes the peacemaker, if you will be a peacemaker, you have to be able to put down any violence, any wickedness. That's why they don't like the preacher a lot of times. Because the preacher have to sometimes say things that are hurtful. Say things that <laughs> that's what the law do. It's Moses convict the the preacher has the word of the gospel with him. He carries that word. So you are to build, and sometimes you have to tear down. Amen. You know, to get discipline in, in your home, you know, you have to be, you know, I, I, have, I have raised four sons. But, you know, the ruler rooster, uh, that's what Nick Saban did at, with Miami. He had to be the president, the vice president, and the general manager because as a coach, it's hard to coach multimillionaires and people that can kind of effectively do what they want. They have free reign. But if he's the coach, president, and general manager, he can fire them and terminate the contract at any time. You have to, as I was saying, raising four sons or whatever, the first thing you have to do is put the fear of God on. Without the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. When people come into the church and not afraid of God, they not go, the preacher will have a problem with them. They go cause division. They're not going to grow because they have not submitted themselves to God. We have to have the fear of God. That's the peace that gives you peace, mm-hmm. that puts you in your place. You don't submit yourself to God's laws, to God's authority, and therefore you do things that cause you not to be blessed. Psalms 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standing in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doeth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers that bringeth forth his fruit in due time. That's how Joseph was. He was feeding a nation while taking care of his family, all of his brothers and sisters and his father. But where was they? They was in the land of Goshen, far from Joseph. You know why? They was different from Joseph. They was didn't they call Joseph's brothers wicked? Yes, yes. You you are your brother's keeper. Though he took care of his brothers, he stayed away from them because they never was changed. Remember, I told you, even at the end of life, they were still conniving and scheming. Mm -hmm. They were still conniving and scheming. That's why Cain, when God asked Cain, where is Abel? He said, am I my brother's keeper? And says, yes, yes, you are. Your brother may be poor and not have nothing, but you're still his keeper. That's what it was, the lesson in the prodigal son. That the wasteful son, that younger son, went away and spent all he had. And when he came back, the father said, all that I have is yours. In other words, to the older son. He said, you should rejoice that your brother is back, that he's not lost. So in other words, he was going to take care of that son. He was going to have to take care of because everything belonged to him. Yes. See, because you, he, he, the father had to say that because the son didn't see the blessedness that follows the children. We have to be different. That peace that he gives us, if we would have learned, and that's what he tells them in this 48th chapter, the 19th verse. He says that, Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments, then that had thine peace been as a river, and thine righteousness as the ways of the sea. And thy seed also been as the sand, and the offspring of thy bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed before me. He cut off Onan and uh, Judah's other son because they were wicked before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Sometimes God cuts them off, but he had told them, if you were to listen to my commandments, I'd have given you constant peace. Your peace would have flowed as the river. Do you have peace day and night? Can you go home and rest? Can you lay down and sleep and rest? All of the situations and things that you deal with during the day, do you have peace in dealing with those situations and everything? That's because you have God. That's because you have Jesus Christ. You have to be able to, I can't see Jesus becoming discombobulated in dealing with circumstances and peoples and things and being frustrated. Else you will howl out like Moses did. I'll give you water, you rebels. And he said it in a way and smote the rock that caused him not to enter the promised land. Don't let someone else take your peace from you. Don't let your family members, your spouses, uh, which is your family member. <laughs> don't let your relatives, your friends, or the people, don't let nobody take your peace because he said, I give you a peace that the world don't know and the world can't take away from you. It's an inner peace. It's a rest. We enter into his rest. We've labored. Now we do the work of the Lord and it's he that giveth us peace. He says, I, when your ways please me, I'll make even your enemies be at peace with you. So they still weary and wicked and trying to do things, but you're at peace 
You can deal with your enemies. You can love your enemies because that's part of his precepts and commandments to love your enemy, to do good to those that despitefully use you and say all manner of wickedness about you. Your conscience now is not convicted or condemned. You have a conscience that's at one, at wokeness, in universal peace with God. Nothing disturbs you. Blessed are you because you're not rubbing shoulders with the world. You living up above. You live in heavenly places. Your life is lived with Christ, the power of all. Heavenly Father, as I come before you,